Well, Tatiana, I'd love to kick us off with a question. Sure. Uh, I, you didn't prep. You didn't prep. Let's see where this goes. But if you were to think about the most influential author, book, TED Talk, and your professional career, right? I'm curious, who would it be? And when were you exposed to, to, to that? So this is going to date me a little bit and take you in the way back machine. But the reason it was very influential was because it actually put me on my journey uh, into HR. So to me, that's uh, kind of a, a pivotal moment in, in your life when you decide where you want to go. So it was uh, the book called The Work of Nations by Robert Reich. Are you familiar with that book? I'm not. Please give me an overview. It was in my undergrad studies, and uh, really the whole premise of the book boiled down to, you know, the U.S. has a lot of kind of rich resources, but its true competitive advantage is its labor and its people, and that, you know, we have to continue to sort of take care of that and develop that to stay competitive and to keep our prominence in the in kind of the world order. <laughs> so, you know, as I was thinking about where I wanted to go with my career, I was thinking about um, work, labor, and how I could impact that. So that's how I got into the world of human resources, and um, here we are. Talk about finding your purpose early that guided you straight into the career that's aligned to you. Um, when I was first exposed to HR work in this industry, I thought everyone would have had the same journey as you did to have discovered their passions early and this is what they do. But that is not the case, Tatiana. You've been part of a number of organizations over your career. Baxter, R. Donnelly, Cardinal Health. Um, how would you describe you know, the folks around you in HR, if not following the journey as you did with purpose, what's what's driving them? So yeah, so that's that's an interesting question. Maybe, you know, I, I'm going to answer it, but slightly in a different way, which is there are a few different professionals in HR. Some sort of find their way there <laughs> and others are deliberate like I was, but more find their way there because it, it is a field um, that wasn't always appreciated and it wasn't always um, at the proverbial seat of the table. And that's said a lot. Um, so it, it, it's kind of losing its meaning, but that's the reality. And I've always told people, you don't go into HR if you want the accolades, because <laughs> that's not where you're going to find them. But when you actually get into the field and the profession, you realize the impact that you can have and how significant it can be. And if used right, organizations that value the function and use it in the right way can be a very powerful, um, powerful tool to really um, you know, enhance performance, um, could change the trajectory of a company. And, and I, I'm not saying that lightly, um, and I'm not trying to exaggerate, but I do believe that. Indeed, and that's where our conversation around your purpose and your passion took us, and that's, that's what I'd love to unpack today. We started discussing, you know, how do you treat people in various business cycles? Right. We go through expansions, we go through a contraction. So first, kind of why, and everyone would say this, right? This is common sense, but let's go beyond that and talk about why do you see that as an important conversation to have at the executive table? Sure. Well, um, it's really critical now if you think about the world that we live in right now where, you know, what is it? Every uh, There's two jobs for every <laughs> individual. So one, getting people at the table, getting them into companies is becoming incredibly 
challenging as well as retaining folks. So what I would say, though, um, when you talk about kind of the different cycles of, you know, business life, um, it really boils down to remembering that when you bring somebody on board or when you have, you know, someone that works for your organization, you know, as part of your team, you're building a relationship and you have to take care of that relationship through all cycles of the, uh, the business cycle, whether you're expanding, whether you're contracting, whether you're growing rapidly. And, um, you know, there, there's, I think there's different tactics and strategies um, that you can em- employ. But at the end of the day, you have to remember there's a key relationship there that you have to take care of. You know, I'd love to try this episode in a different way. Here's um, here's what, I, what I'm thinking. Imagine I'm the CEO of a company that's venture-backed. So you, you probably gather like from a perspective of how I approach performance um, and my thinking on it. What if you came to me and you said, hey, uh, we really need to look at the relationship of our folks in a different way through the cycles? And uh, I said, why? Why? And let's have that conversation. How would we have it when my focus is on profitability? But I am a CEO that is not short-term. I'm not just thinking about the next cycle or, or, or our stock price in 12 months. I am thinking about long-term value for our shareholders. And uh, I won't be the worst, but I'll be somewhere on, on, a, on a spectrum to challenge it because I think some of the audiences for this podcast are asking themselves, how do they convince Right, the executives, uh, to do what they see is right, but it's not just right. It's also what's right from a business perspective for their organization. So let's see where this goes, Tatiana. Why should I care about treating our people right um, well during the different business cycles? Sure. So a couple of things. One is how you treat your employees will affect not only your um, employment brand, but your brand as a company. So if you think about it, depending on what industry you're in, um, you've got consumers that you're trying to reach. And every employee uh, who's been with you, whether for the long term or the short term, is not only a potential talent for the organization, but also a potential consumer. So I think that's something you have to keep in mind. In addition, if you think about um, your customer relationships, um, so depending on the business that you're in, those customer relationships are key. And you want, you know, we all believe there, you know, profitability uh, exists with long-term customer relationships, building your brand, building who you are. And if you think about it, uh, the, you, those relationships uh, you have to make sure that they are solid. And the more turnover you have, the more people leave your organization, that starts affecting your ability from a commercial standpoint as well, too. So and let's think about the spectrum of the relationship. By the way, on, on this show and in my work, you know that I touch quite a bit on thinking about relationships with customers in, in the same way as we think about relationships, I should say the, the opposite, thinking about your employee relationships similar to how you do customers because you show customers you care in so many ways. So as we think about the relationship here, um, it starts with onboarding. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about from an onboarding perspective, what's important. Then there's the life cycle of kind of as, 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 the, as the employee journey continues and then there's the offboarding or ending of the season. That's where it gets real sensitive. So let's, let's start with onboarding. What's important? 
So a couple things, when you're onboarding, you wanna make sure from the point that you um, extended an offer and gotten an acceptance to the point that they join you and through even their first year, you're thinking about key events where you're engaging with that person and developing that relationship. And that means giving um, that individual the time and attention needed for them to be successful. You want them feeling like, oh, I made the right decision. You want them to have the tools that they need to be successful. And what I found, especially when you talk about different uh, business cycles, you know, I was in a very high growth business. And when you think about the the pace that you're in when you're in a high growth business, the frenetic nature of that. A lot of times, um, and it's very easy to slip into this, uh, people are so busy doing their day-to-day -day roles, they forget to onboard their people. They forget to lead them through that that piece and be very deliberate about it. And they just kind of leave people to just flounder and find their way. Um, and you can do that. People are successful. People are resilient. They can figure that out. But from a um, speed to impact, you know, you're, you're losing, pro you know, you're losing productivity there, <laughs> the longer the person swirls. So you want to be, you want to have a plan. You want to have a plan. You want, you know, even the little things like day one, uh, who's greeting that person? Whether, you know, especially in the world today, a lot of onboarding is happening virtually. You don't want that person sitting at home with a bunch of emails and not talking to a soul, you know, or doing paperwork by themselves. You want them to feel like they're part of this organization. They matter. Um, so I think that's really, really important because you could lose folks kind of in that first, you know, first few weeks, um, especially in the virtual world. It's all about the relationships, right? When we when we return to two humans and what happens in the first couple of weeks could set the tone for the relationship if there is going to be a relationship beyond. And with virtual specifically, how tempting is it to say, here are the tasks, here's the manual, here's what you read, and now let's get to the output. Let's measure the, the productivity. Um, so I am that CEO and I'm saying to you, okay, well, fine, fine. I, I understand that there is a connection between how we're onboarding them and performance. Um, so now the question is, how do we create a more effective ways? How do I, how do I track my data? And uh, Tatiana, as you and I talked, this doesn't have to be current state. This is about us thinking about the future of this entire industry. As you know, we think about it in the context of people initiatives and how to make it more effective. So how do I, as a CEO, create a more effective onboarding as I think about um, those things that are missing? Yeah, so I think the things you measure, you focus on the things, and you see you have to kind of measure it from two perspectives. You have to measure it from a qualitative and a quantitative standpoint. So you want to take a look and, and build in some feedback mechanisms throughout the onboarding cycle to check in with individuals on a qualitative basis. How are they doing? Are they getting the training they need? Are they getting the support they need? You also want to look at it from a, a quantitative perspective. So for example, if someone's going into um, you know, a sales position, you want to take a look at how quickly are they impacting? You know, what's their first year look like? And you know, and understand what are the the um, interventions from an onboarding standpoint that you're, you're doing, right? So that you can take a look at, is this working? Is this effective? Because um, I, I think um, there's a lot of onboarding. Some of it's good. Some of it's not really that... <laughs> You know, that effective. So you want to really make sure that it's targeted, it's meeting the needs of the individual, and it's tailored to the person's position too. So so and, and some of it's based on the relationships that they are, that are important, their stakeholders. 
Have you set up meetings so that that individual has met their key stakeholders, internal and external? Are you facilitating that? Um, and checking in to see, are, are your people leaders in your HR team um, following that process? Um, to make sure that those folks are, are, are being brought into the organization successfully and, and being productive. Tailored to the needs of the individual, right? Looking at the relationship with that person, not that cohort or everyone in the entire organization, how far would you tailor it? Would you contextualize it to the, the department, division, the role, how many years they have total experience before joining the organization? How far uh, in ideal state would you take it to tailor it to their specific experience? Sure. I think it depends at what program or what process you're looking at. But, you know, let me start with the most individualized and tailored um, process that I would recommend. I think every new hire should have scheduled check-in points with their direct manager. And there should be a set of consistent questions that are being asked about how they are onboarding and performing and what they need. And even a simple question, um, as simple as, is there anything else you need uh, right now that we haven't covered um, that would help you be more effective? Is there anything you're struggling with right now that we could take a look at? And, and put that in the hands of the the individual uh, people manager. So that's one level of individual kind of, um, what I would say, uh, process and more, most tailored. On the other end, I think you would look at it, um, and every business is different, so the complexity of the job has to factor in, the complexity of the environment you're in, who you're hiring. But you'd wanna take a look at, are these, um, new entrants to the workplace are the people you're you're uh, recruiting right off of college with a couple of years of experience that onboarding that experience um, those interventions will be very very different than your experienced hires coming in um, with 10 years of experience uh, into the business so i do think you tailor it based on not only um, department and function but also years of experience that the individual has coming in because their needs are going to be different I couldn't agree more. In fact, we'll be publishing an episode with Ernst & Young shortly where we talk about the cohorts that are joining the work workforce today have experienced something no other cohort ever has. In some cases, they've never worked physically. They've been isolated. There is a deep sense of, of, of and longing for connection and, and belonging. Um, let, let's t you mentioned people leaders. Right. And back to we're discussing a relationship one has with the organization or is it with the leader of the organization? How, and, and how important is their people leader in that onboarding phase of someone's employee experience? It's I think it's everything. Um, it's significant. I mean, clearly, you know, the people leader operates in an ethos in, a, in an organization in a set of a structure. Right. So so the the organization um, has to be one that's healthy, you know, for the people, people leader to be able to do their role. But the people leader is critical. They're the they're they are the experience that that new hire has in terms of who, what they believe the company is. You know, they are the, the personification of it. It's interesting when we think about an initiative in this case that improves um, the onboarding experience, the audience we talk about is the person being hired. 
but in some ways I wonder if us were our, the audience who should be focusing on is the people leader or focus on them just as much because there's a lot that goes into and it's an unusual process. Many people leaders are busy. They lost someone. Someone is coming in. They have responsibility to their managers and off it goes. So how important is that audience and that people leader for organizations to ensure that they have the tools, the process, the systems in order to focus on this area? Yep. So I think it's really important. I think you have to put as much care in uh, making sure you set clear expectations with people leaders. Sometimes people leaders don't even know that's their job. I mean, you know, uh, they're, you know they, they're like, well, that's HR, that's sales training. <laughs> that's their, that's their mentee. You know, I gave them a mentee. <laughs> You know, I hired them. That was my big decision. I, you know, I've got a million fires to put out. I, you know, I, I, they've got all everything they need. Oh, and the office admin and HR can help. <laughs> so, so I think one is setting expectations that no, wait a minute, that's your number one job. Because at the end of the day, if you're leading people, your number one job is to lead them through, help them perform, help them onboard, and take them through the life cycle. You know, HR's role, I think HR can play a really good role in this. One is they can give the managers the tools that are necessary and help educate managers around what their role should be. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, that people leader is, is kind of the critical, critical um, piece in the puzzle. It's quite a paradigm shift to go from barely noticeable task for them to there being num- this being number one job. It also creates an interesting question that I often wonder on is, is how managers have gotten into their roles. It's, it's not because they're amazing people leaders. It's because they performed well in their other role and there was an opportunity. But uh, now what? How do they gain the necessary skill sets? And also, in some cases, how, how does their mind get shifted to that being important, even though in many cases that's not how they were led themselves? They may be in the workforce for 20, 30 plus years, and they're saying, whoa, 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 what is this new norm? Yeah, when I was, you know, when I was just starting, they sent me for coffees and they asked me, to, and no one ever said thank you. It was three years before they recognized. You see where I'm going <laughs> yeah, with this, I right? completely see where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was fend for yourself, survival of the fittest, and, you know, um, you can figure it out. No, what, what I would say is, one, is when people transition from an individual contributor to a people manager, that's a pivotal moment in their career. And when you talk about onboarding and employee life cycle, that's one we need to be thinking about and being planful around and focusing resources around. So there should be a path for those people leaders um, that includes expectation setting, education, how do you coach and mentor, uh, how do you effectively select, all the things that we know we should be doing, right? Um, So that's one piece of it. So as they get in, helping them develop that experience and, and that capability. And the other piece is around what is it that senior leadership is looking at? What is senior leadership asking about? What is senior uh, leadership holding people accountable to? You know, um, again, you know, I started the talk with saying what you measure is what's what's important, what people focus on. So somewhere in the the process, um, there should be some focus and measurement on people are doing on that aspect of it. You know, and again, whether it's qualitative or quantitative. It's brilliant, and it's also in many ways the next frontier is to truly understand the data behind that relationship between a people leader and their individual contributor when it comes to 
not the areas of performance or task management. We've done a really good job in a lot of technologies and systems, but it's beyond that. How do we measure the relationship and what's happening? Um, where I'd like to go next is really, we, we started with business cycles and uh, we talked about the more exciting cycle, which is the onboarding. Important to get it right. But of course, the more challenging part of the employee cycle is the offboarding, ending of season, and as we think about possible contraction across certain industries during the times we're in now. So let's turn our attention. I am that same CEO, and I'm saying, hey, look, tough, tough. We paid you. You did well. The economy has changed. Um, have a good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. One is I think if you've built a good relationship throughout the employee uh, experience with your organization, when it comes to that tough message, um, there's a little bit more credibility uh, in, in terms of I sincerely care about you. You know, this is not about you. This is, you know, just an economic reality. So first you have to have that trust in and um, relationship. Um, in addition, I think um, you know, people are adults and if you are very plain, transparent and frank with them, I think most people will um, understand it. They won't like it necessarily. Who wants to be told that I'm no longer necessary, I'm redundant or we just can't afford you anymore. No one wants to be told that. But if you're open about it, um, again, transparent, um, People will, will get it. What I find a lot of times is um, business leaders are afraid to communicate that message. You know, they're afraid to have, you know, to give people long transition times. You know, I hear, you know, well, gosh, you know, we're going to let them know on Friday, you know, so that, you know, Friday, Friday morning. So Friday afternoon, they're gone because, you know. Uh, I don't want, you know, these demotivated people just hanging around the workplace, bringing the rest of the organization down. But that's, you know. That's not um, that's not the most productive thinking. Um, when you're going through a downturn, there's two things you're managing. One is, you know, from a very simplistic standpoint, you're managing legal risk. You want to make sure that you do it in, you know, a legal way so that you know there's no no challenges legally. But the other thing you're trying to do is retain the remaining people because the remaining people are going to need to be there to really keep the business going through the tough times, right? Because when it's, when the cycle is, when the, when we're hitting recession, sales are going down, um, the remaining people are picking up more work in a less uh, kind of motivating, <laughs> less exciting, uh, you know, workplace. So they will be watching how you treat those people that were no longer needed in the business. And they will ask themselves, if, if they feel that they're not being treated well, they'll, they're going to ask themselves, are they going to treat me that way? Should I be looking for another job? You know, does this organization care about people? You know, they're going to be asking all those questions. It's so right. Again, we're dividing into audiences. There are audience that is leaving the organization. There's audience that's staying within your organization. And no doubt with those that are staying are also divided as in every company. There are those who are very engaged, are excited, and understand their difficult times. And on the opposite extreme, there are the disengaged, the group that is already checked out. And there's probably a lot in between that are looking at your every decision, at your every word, and they're considering what is this signal, what does it mean to me, especially if their direct manager is not open, is not communicating with them. They're looking at this executive level and hanging on to every sentence and every word. But, but, but you did mention fear 
right? And I was just reflecting on another statistic. It was over 70% of the C-level folks in organizations are concerned about their jobs this year. And um, so there's fear at the executive level that is then translating into often creating internal messaging communications that are so sterile of meaning that it's almost meaningless, universal. It's almost like you can apply the same speech across a number of different presentations. So what I am that CEO, I don't think I did a great job challenging you so far, but, but here it is. Uh, how do I park my fear right? How do I put myself, I'm already concerned about all kinds of things, personal and beyond, in order for me to be more transparent and more open. What what, what advice would you give me and as pragmatic as, as possible? Yeah, I would say, remember, it's not about you. You know, it's all about the, you know, the, the teams that are remaining and, and the, you know, individuals who are leaving. So that has to be your number one focus. We have to get through this transition that we're having to be able to get onto the business of the future and the business of stabilizing the business if it's in a downturn or getting more profitable or, you know, um, trying to spur innovation, you know, to, to get growth started up again. So we have to get through this period before we can get to that other. So the only way we're gonna do that is if it stops being about me, like the leader, it's more about them. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. Probably not an easy mind, mindset shift for most leaders to undertake. But you did you did get me thinking about the other perspective of when you're communicating, right? Let's say we are in a state of contraction and we are laying off. And you're right, there are some divisions that may not be. In fact, there could be opposite trend. They're doing really well. So now, should my message evolve? Should it change? Should it be specific to the audience because it feels to me like when, when a CEO communicates to an organization of, let's say, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people, the higher you go in terms of the number of people who are the audience, the less relevant this becomes for them. So should that message find its way to be more relevant based on the divisions, based on the performance segments? How far down do you think we need to go? Or should it stay broad and open and transparent? So I would say there's going to be tiers of messaging. You know, every circumstance is different, but there's tiers of messaging. So there's going to be an overarching message and there's going to be the elevator speech and the presentation and the talking points. And those are going to be, you know, from the C-suite top of the house to the organization. Um, they're going to be, in some cases, a little bit generic because you know, there are some specifics that are not needed um, or that, you know, frankly, a certain population of the workforce doesn't care about. So you want to have that top, top message. But once you get below that, you absolutely want to tailor it to the audience that you're you're talking to. So for example, you know, if there's a division, a team, um, a function that's not at all impacted um, in terms of their, you know, headcount structure, meaning, you know, they're gonna be left alone. What you wanna tell them is, hey, this has happened, you know, because you want to be transparent about what's happening throughout the organization. The last thing you want is the grapevine to tell them, oh, my gosh, did you hear, you know, 20 people were let go at this division. What if we're next? You, you, that, that's a killer thing. You don't want that to happen. So you want them to know what's happened. You want them to know that the individuals um, that were impacted were notified, treated with respect, provided support in terms of severance, you know, outplacement. They're going to have some time to transition, all that good stuff. And then you're going to say, hey, 
And I'm really excited, you know, about where we're headed. You know, this is unfortunate where we're at, but in terms of what the work we're doing is still really important, remind people of their goals, what they're trying to accomplish, and kind of where where the company is going and why. You know, it's almost like you're re-recruiting people. You're almost, mm. you know, uh, attracting them again <laughs> into the organization, reminding them why they want to be here. You know, reminding them of 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 that um, because now all of a sudden their security changed. You know, their 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 working environment changed. Yeah, I, I've heard the sentiment that the managers in the future are going to be really recruiters that are continuously recruiting their people to con- to, to stay within the organization, and this role of manager in this relationship for the manager this to become their number one priority why don't we just spend a few minutes uh, and i don't know if anyone listening and it would be a a denier of this fact or or if we can convince them if they are but what is the impact of that relationship on the performance of the individual what aspects does a relationship between the manager and the contributor um, impact the performance of that contributor toward whatever it is they're involved in within their organization? Oh, yeah, I think it has quite a bit of impact in a couple different ways. One is, if you have a good relationship uh, as an employee or an individual contributor, you're willing to ask your manager maybe some of the silly questions. You're willing to bring to your manager when you might be, uh, when things might be going off the rail or rails or when uh, performance is maybe not where it needs to be. And that manager, you can kind of work through that and strategize how to get through that and you become better as an employee, if that makes sense. Because if, if, if you don't have that relationship, you know, you, you hear uh, a very common term where people say, you know, nobody wants to tell the emperor they don't have clothes. You know, if you don't have a good relationship, no one's telling you you're walking around naked or, you know, <laughs> or no one's telling you, hey, I've been doing this process or this function, um, but I don't know if I'm doing it right. Um, and gosh, you know, if I was willing to talk to my manager, I might get some tips on how to do it better and more efficiently because um, I, I, I'm not so worried about having to prove myself all the time. I realize that this is a collaborative coaching relationship and it's a safe space for me to be open with what's happening in the business, what's happening with me. Because, you know, that frontline knows what's happening with your business sometimes more than the manager does. For sure, for sure. And, and I couldn't agree more with you. I think fundamentally all aspects of performance are impacted by that relationship. Whether it's friends, you're in a marriage, whatever, whatever, whatever relationship you're in, the dynamics of that relationship will impact the way you you think, the way you feel, all aspects. Um, so, kind of as if you were to give one piece of advice, uh, I am again that CEO. I am with you now. I I believe that uh, it's about the relationships and how we treat people. I also recognize that manager is my custodian of that message. I understand that this is where the message will live or die, right? And um, I'm looking to impact the managers. What, what, what is one piece of advice you could give as I think about my future initiatives? This could be activities, programs. How do I activate my managers in order to be the custodians of the message? Oh, that's good. That's good. I, w- I would say um, 
what the CEO asks about and what the CEO cares about becomes what people managers care about. So if the CEO would would ask, so how's it going? How you know how you know how often are you meeting with your people? You know what what's on your people's minds? What is tell me about the three things you're working on, manager to to develop your team, you know, asking those questions because that sends a very clear message on what's important. So I would say, as they think about it, you know, from a macro level, holistically, you know, whatever people initiative we're going to be um, putting resources and time against, it has to be on the agenda of the CEO to talk about it, to ask about it, to care about it, to measure it again. I think that's the way you get those custodians to pay attention. You know, when I was uh, riding, learning the motorcycle, and uh, you make a turn, you often want to look in other directions to make sure there are no vehicles. But really, if you ever ride a motorcycle, you go where you look, because that's where your focus is, that's where your attention is. So you're saying the entire organization will focus on what the CEO is asking about, they care about what they measure, the keys what they measure. So if you do care about managers taking on certain initiatives or spending time with their teams, well, do you have the data? What percentage of your managers have had a one-on-one? Also, what tools have we given our managers to have those one-on-ones and not just another of a hundred to-dos on their plate? Um, right. Well, and the other thing, can I add to that a little bit, is that I would say don't be afraid to make changes in those people leaders because, you know, like you mentioned before, it's not always the the... Um, it's you know it's not always the best people leader that gets uh, promoted. It's it's the the best salesperson or the best scientist or the best you know what have you, um, and sometimes that you know person maybe is not suited and it's okay. They could still be a star somewhere else in the organization, of uh, just not leading people and be okay with that. Um, and sometimes I think people are afraid to do that because. Um, they feel like, well, that person's earned that leadership position. They've, you know, they've, they've driven these results. They've been the seller salesperson. They deserve to be in that spot, but not always. Totally. And they may not be a promotion. They may not see that as an opportunity they care about. They may want to become that basketball, you know, that player, that, 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 that genius in whatever space they're in and reach their level of mastery. Um, so Tatiana, I opened the conversation by talking about kind of one author book that impacted you most, and that was er- earlier on. What, um, if you could share, who is influencing maybe your thinking on these topics now or or recently? Are there authors? Are there folks influencers you follow? Who, who's creating the most impact for you today? So I would say I don't know if there's one necessary person or author you know that's impacting me, but I would say. Um, just the current environment we're living today is so different from every, you know, anything we've all lived in. So I, so I think about like the topics that we've talked about um, and have experienced, you know, the, this mental health pandemic, you know, the, the virtual workplace, um, you know, the, 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 the quiet, what is it, the quiet uh, <laughs> uh, resignation, quiet, quit, 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 the quiet quitting, the great, all of those things. Um, you hear that noise in the system, right? And, and part, of, part of what's influencing me is what I'm living <laughs> day to day. And it's having those conversations with people going through it and sharing practices, is talking to my peers, um, because we haven't figured it out. <laughs> 
So, you know, so I think it's just being curious about those topics and talking about them and challenging each other and experimentation. I think there's a lot of experimentation that is taking place in the workplace, um, which I think is good, um, that will continue to kind of move these topics forward. So I can't talk to one specific area, but more about what's what we're living right now. You're you're trusting your experiences. You're you're having discussions with folks around. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone has figured this out. I haven't met someone who would say they figured it out. It, it only remains um, whether you are curious or not to continue to to try to figure it out. Tatiana, this has been a, a great conversation. I I appreciate you taking the time. Sure, no, appreciate it. Have a great day. <laughs>